0: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Welcome to our uh, webinar today. How will the pandemic reshape public health for migrants? Uh, My name is Jasmine Slootjes. I'm a senior policy analyst at the Migration uh, Policy Group. Uh, I'm very happy to welcome all of you here today. Uh, Before starting, I first have a few housekeeping notes. If you have a technical problem, please email events at migrationpolicy.org. Uh, we will have a QA and uh, a after the end of the conversation. There will not be a voice Q&A, so please type any questions into the Q- Q&A box or email to events at migrationpolicy.org. Um, this event is part of the Integration Futures Working Group Initiative, supported by the Robert Bosch uh, Stiftung. And related to this webinar, NPI uh, will be releasing a report next week about migrant health and the future of uh, policies in, on migrant health, uh, which you will be able to find on our website on the integration futures section uh, or on the bit.ly uh, URL that you can see on our screen. Uh, I would like to very warmly uh, welcome our three panelists today. Uh, first of all, uh, Ilse Derlain, professor at Ghent University. And one of the researchers on the Apart Together study about the impact of COVID 19 on migrants and refugees. Uh, of course, also very much uh, a big welcome to Sonia Pereira, High Commissioner for Migration of Portugal, and a very warm welcome to Santino Severoni, Director uh, on Health and. Um, So before getting started, uh, the the start of this webinar is the very uneven impact of COVID-19 on migrant and refugee communities, both in health and other impacts. And I would first really like to welcome Ilse Derlein to tell us a little bit more about the impact of COVID-19 on migrant and refugee communities Share some of the insights of the
1: very universal. Thank you, Yasmeen, for the nice introduction. Although the connection is not always that good, at least from, from my side here, to, to hear you, but uh, I think I, I got everything. So, uh, thank you for uh, organizing this uh, event as MPI. I think it's really important that we keep on thinking also on the particular impact of COVID 19 on, on, on these uh, groups of refugees and migrants. And I think um, what I will present in a minute is, is the findings of a, a study, the Apart Together study, that we did together with uh, WHO. So I, I'm really happy that uh, uh, the close participation and friendship that could uh, start to exist uh, amongst this, uh, throughout this study, with uh, amongst others, but uh, Santino as a friend of WHO, uh, is also here reflected in, in the composition of the panel. Um, So I I want to to uh, um, a bit tell about this particular study because I think it's or or I know that this is the first time that the impact of a pandemic on refugees and migrants has been documented. Uh, There were already several uh, pandemics in the past, uh, but the particular impact it can have and it's had on migrants and still is 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 having now on migrants and refugees was not yet documented scientifically, and in that. Initiative we took and that uh, then was joined by WHO and, and largely supported also by WHO. I think we did uh, could we, we managed to get quite a, a big data set and, and really show the particular impacts on that broad and heterogeneous group of migrants and refugees and showing within that group who is at particular risk um, in terms of mental health, social well being, and daily living. Um, I will just um, share my screen and show you some of the findings. So the Together study um, was led by a European academic consortium led by Ghent University. I uh, uh, was coordinated together with uh, Morten Skovdal from the University of Copenhagen and I set together with uh, the World Health Organization. We did an online survey to look at the impact of COVID on daily living of refugees and migrants on their mental and social well-being to come to uh, policy recommendations, of course, and collected with support of WHO data uh, around the world, also because we translated the online survey in 37 languages. Overall, about 30,000 respondents uh, completed the survey, um, Equally, almost equally distributed females and males. You can see in the graph uh, here, that we have different groups in terms of the documents they have so we had both people with documents with temporary documents with permanent documents and and also participants who were undocumented and also in different living conditions so people who lived in a housing a house or an apartment in an asylum center a refugee camp or on the street it is absolutely sure that um, this survey was completed more by higher skilled um, migrants and refugees who were also in a more stable living situation. So that is an important um, addition to note here in in the profile of the respondents. The first finding is that we saw that the majority of the participants indicated that they try as much as, as possible to follow the preventive measures. Of course, not all of them can follow because of their particular living or working conditions that most of them would also seek healthcare if they would uh, think that they were infected, but that people who are undocumented do live in the street or in other insecure accommodations or have little or no schooling would less likely to seek healthcare. And some of them, 5% would not at all seek healthcare because they lack financial means and fear deportation as main main, uh, reasons. So I think that, the it already indicates here the particular impact of their living conditions, the resident status or being undocumented on uh, the access to healthcare measures. One of the m- most, in my view, most important findings, also because this is relatively particular for for refugees and migrants, is that. Um, A large proportion of them, 13 to 27%, depending on the items that we we looked into, indicated that they now, because of COVID, experience more discrimination than before. So these are the figures on the worsening in um, the impact of or the perceived discrimination, particularly at risk or 20 to 30 years old, those living on the streets or in other insecure accommodations, those with no uh, employment and the undocumented migrants and refugees. So this is a very uh, important finding that uh, COVID, although it is in itself not related to ethnicity or migration background, has led to an increased discrimination, which that I will say in a minute also has a big impact on their mental health, is known to have a big impact and also in this study showed that that increased discrimination also led to higher mental health problems. A third important finding is that COVID-19 impacted uh, largely the daily lives of migrants and refugees. Not surprisingly, also for the overall population, people without migration background, it had an important impact on their daily living. But we see also for this group, it has a very important impact in particular on um, their access to work or their work situation, their feelings of safety and related to access to work, also access to financial means. Again, similar risk groups, those uh, migrants and refugees who lost their job or were sent home without pay due to COVID or since the COVID pandemic started, refugees and migrants in the African region, undocumented migrants and refugees, and those living on the streets and in asylum centers. As for the general population, COVID-19 also had a large impact on the mental health of refugees and migrants, with overall seen as on the overall question on mental well-being, 40 to 60 percent indicated that their mental health or their overall well-being was now worse than before. More than half of the participants say they had more feelings of depression, anxiety, loneliness, and worries. And one in four said that their substance use increased since the pandemic, particularly at risk again, those living on the streets and in asylum centers, those without documents or with temporary residence status, and those in the African region. And as I said, a recent paper of Eva Spiritus Bearden showed that uh, the increased impact or the increased perceived in discrimination and the worsening in the daily living had a huge impact on their mental health. So if we want to improve and then I come to, of course, policy recommendation. If you want to improve mental health, we also need to tackle those other variables and those other aspects that impact mental health, such as discrimination and daily living. To conclude, 5% of the participants would not seek medical care in case of suspected inve- infection, mainly because of lack of financial means, fear of deportation, or lack of availability of healthcare providers. To groups that are at increased risk overall or undocumented migrants, migrants and refugees living on in the streets, migrants and refugees living in asylum centers and those in African regions, almost one in four reported more discrimination based on their origin. Over 50% indicated that it had a worse impact on their mental uh, on worse access to work safety and financial means. And 60% reported more feelings of depressions and worries since COVID-19, which leads of course to particular recommendations, Um, but of course I will leave that to the policymakers to go more into depth there. Um, I think the first important recommendations is that we need to look into access to healthcare also for the most vulnerable populations such as undocumented refugees and migrants or those living in the streets. We need to uh, ameliorate their daily living circumstance, again, in particular for those risk groups. We saw that access to social services um, was worse during COVID the, the pandemic. Of course, we know that many services closed their doors or only had online access. So also here, there's a um, big work to do. There's need for more mental health support, in particular for those at-risk groups and um, Anti discrimination measures, which is, I think, almost the most difficult one to take up. But given the large impact of discrimination and the worsening in perceived discrimination, we also should take measures there. Of course, always available for further questions um, and um, feedback.
0: Thank you so much, Ilse, for the uh, wonderful overview of the insights from the Apart Together study. I quickly want to apologize for closing my video just to help the internet connection along and that everyone can hear me clearly. Uh, it was very interesting how you were drawing parallels between these different policy areas, so, how uh, daily living conditions and also discrimination in turn impact health. So it's not only COVID-19 impacting migrant health by infecting them with COVID-19, but it's impacting other areas of their life, which in turn could further uh, increase health problems for the future. Um, Mm. What specific lessons do you see for Europe or European countries, uh, what they can do uh, based on these findings?
1: Well, I think there's absolutely need for those different um, areas: discrimination, mental health, social well-being, daily living of uh, particular groups that are at risk. I think um, being a migrant as such does not necessarily put you in a more risky situation than than being not a migrant. I think it's within that group that we need to look at those who are really uh, at high risk, and that the two variables that we used in the, in this um, in this Uh, Study were were the housing situation and and the uh, documents they had. So those are are two variables that are really important. And in different aspects, I think we can uh, really improve their situation. If you look at asylum centers, for example, there's lots to do uh, when um, regards to improvement of the the, the living conditions in asylum context uh, for people who have applied for international protection. Same goes for the access to healthcare for undocumented people. And we've seen quite some good practices during COVID um, to, to increase and improve the access to healthcare services also for those who are less likely to go to healthcare services or less familiar with it or afraid to go. So we saw some initiatives that we can learn f- from to also uh, improve the daily living and access to services for those groups. So I think for me, that's that these are the main lessons. Of course, also the discrimination aspect also there, uh, although there, um, I'm always a bit hesitant on, on how we really can approach that. That's of course a very broad um, discourse and, and, and a broad field of attention. And I think there's possibilities in education, there's possibility in media discourses, there's, there's many possibilities, but of course that stays on a very broad and general level there and it's not specifically directed at, at uh, certain uh, services.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and I think you're touching upon a lot of interesting issues here, Uh, one of them being, and I think you you stated that quite clearly, that migrants, just because you're a migrant, you are not at a higher risk of becoming infected, but it's rather the conditions that you live in your uh, close proximity housing, uh, being in frontline professions, Uh, your socioeconomic status so other factors that are known to be correlated with COVID-19 infection and mortality rates, that it's those reasons why we sometimes see in statistics that migrants group are seemingly impacted unevenly, but it's actually these other factors that uh, are the cause of this. I think that's really important what you're mentioning here. Uh, I see a question from the audience, and they would like to know how the... uh, Term, the terminology of migrant was defined in this study. So who was considered a migrant in the apart together study?
1: It was an online survey, so that was not an, an, uh, something that we could differentiate a lot in. How we defined it was someone somebody who was not born in the country where he lived currently. So that was the um, rather broad but at the same time also small definition because we did not include so-called second generation migrants um in the in the study so it it because of the online um uh, it was rather difficult to have a good operationalization there.
0: yeah I understand yes and it was already very impressive to see such a large number of respondents uh yeah. maybe to to question that it was an online uh survey uh and we know that at times certain migrant groups have uh uh not the same access to digital tools or limited digital literacy do you think that the results would have even be different if those groups could have been reached better um, or how that may have impacted the results of the study
1: yeah I, I definitely uh, definitely they are um, those in a, in a more vulnerable situation are underrepresented so those who have less access to digital means or in uh, in, in more restricted uh, settings or less, less familiar also to online service, absolutely. So I think the, the, the results could be even more outspoken, although uh, the numbers uh, outspoken, I mean in terms of, of highlighting the, the so-called vulnerable groups, those more at risk to have an impact on their mental health, on their social well-being, daily living. At the same time, the high number, the total high number of participants, and as such also the relatively high numbers of, of the so called more vulnerable groups, um, do already point to the fact that those groups of those undocumented in asylum center living on the streets are more at risk. So I think. Um, I guess these results would be even more outspoken, uh, but uh, we already have quite a, a good number to 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 say that our results do indicate uh, the the clear tendency.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, And here, I think this is also interesting to draw it a little bit to the broader discussion on data and research on migrants and migrant health, that in the work on our report on migrant health, there's often very limited data on uh, migrant and refugee groups, which makes it harder to understand their situation and how things like COVID-19, but also other health issues impact these groups. what can we learn from this particular study that you did, the apart together study for future research and also research on other health problems and health issues among these populations?
1: Well, what we see in other countries, for example, in, in uh, Sweden or in the UK, is that um, ethnicity or migrant background or documents, it differs a bit or or a combination of those or sometimes also registered. And those uh, registers on access to healthcare on um, specific treatments can be very informative uh, also for policymakers on um, access to healthcare on particular risks to develop certain health problems and also on retention and dropout in um, healthcare and in treatments. So I think there's absolutely a need um, to, to include or to register it's just around migration background, you could discuss it if it would be ethnicity or documents or a combination of those, you could have a strong discussion on that, but I think it's really beneficial for, to understand certain mechanisms b- within access to healthcare and, and, and the treatment uh, retention and, and uh, the effectiveness also of treatments in certain groups to have more data on on, um, particular related to migration and uh, refugee, migration status in general.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I think here again, you're highlighting this importance of intersectionality, just looking not only at being a migrant, but all these different factors that play into uh, impacting health and health differences. Uh, For now, we'll be moving on to the next speaker. Thank you so much. We'll be treating more questions at the end uh, after just talking with all the panelists. Uh, I would like to invite uh, Sonia Pereira, the High Commissioner uh, on Migration from Portugal, and especially because Portugal has taken a strong multi-prong approach uh, tackling the impact of the pandemic on migrant and refugee communities. Uh, working more with civil society, uh, temporary regularizations, increasing access to healthcare, different outreach and information campaigns. So it would be very interesting to hear how Portugal has taken on uh, and responded to the pandemic, and especially also the lessons they learned in their approach. The floor is yours, Sonia Pereira.
2: Thank you, and thank you for um, the invitation to be able to share with you the experience of Portugal, and also thank you for the organization of this panel, Uh, how will the pandemic reshape public health for migrants, I think we are very much thinking about this now, uh, not only the measures uh, that we had to take in face of COVID, but also what will come next. And also, uh, um, good afternoon, uh, dear members of this panel and all the participants. The High Commission for Migration, ACM, is a public institute that intervenes in the definition, implementation and evaluation of public policy that is related to migration and integration and also deals with issues such as cultural and ethnic diversity and fight against ethno-racial discrimination. And uh, it works in very close coordination with other entities in the matters of their competence, including the healthcare sector as well as civil society organizations and also municipalities. Access to healthcare is a universal right in Portugal, according to the Portuguese constitution and also to the healthcare basic law. And in addition, in matters related to public health, including COVID 19, healthcare is free of charge. ACM has had a very uh, close working relationship with the um, healthcare services in the National Center for Migrant Support in Lisbon, we have a health office that provides direct support to migrants in terms of accessing healthcare and also conducts training to healthcare professionals on matters related to migration and cultural diversity. Uh, Also, the translation telephone line has also been widely used by healthcare professionals to communicate with migrants. The Portuguese DG Health also has a representative in the Migration Council, which is the consultative body of ACM. And this uh, very close working relationship that has been developed over the years has indeed facilitated this work that had to be very coordinated uh, in response to to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, During this time, the support that is provided by the telephone translation services, as well as the migrant support line to our NHS was reinforced. Materials about the prevention of COVID-19 infection and what to do in case of infection were translated into different languages and made available online. And also joint actions with health authorities and other public institutions were conducted on the ground to provide information and awareness raising in specific areas with high migrant concentration. And also we thought at the time that it was important to collect more information through a survey that was implemented in the field and a specific team was set up to uh, conduct the survey and also to provide direct support um, on the ground. And uh, a specific email was created as well only for questions that are related to COVID-19. And this uh, provided a very specific answer to questions related to this matter. This coordination also included a very close communication with migrants associations, religious leaders and other civil society uh, organizations, a total of more than 50 entities uh, that uh, uh, contributed to both disseminating information but also collecting information about the worries, the persistent constraints or difficulties that migrants were facing um, during um, these times and uh, in particular, Particular, for example, for accessing vaccination. And this has led to uh, the development of joint. Uh, responses that were adjusted to the specific context of migrants. Uh, Also, when COVID-19 testing became more widely accessible, ACM participated with other partners in promoting testing among migrant communities, and this has included, for example, setting up a pop-up testing center at the National uh, Migrant Support Center in partnership with the Red Cross. Uh, and also a mobile van that went to specific areas with high migrant concentration to provide better access to testing uh, how it was set up here uh, in Portugal, um, the process of dealing with COVID-19 and uh, uh, in particular vaccination, uh, a number of task forces were set up at the uh, regional levels and also in areas with high migrant concentration. Their specific situation was also taken into account to provide adjusted responses. And this included the intervention of health and labor inspection, for example, regarding working and living arrangements and also the protection of labor rights. For example, uh, this uh, was a response to concerns voiced by migrants that employers were not allowing migrants time off to go to the vaccination center. Uh, And also access to social support if they had to be in isolation or uh, were uh, COVID positive. And um, providing information on uh, their labor and social rights in this particular context. Context was very important because it was understood that migrants were facing a series of difficulties with certain employers. Um, in specific, regarding the vaccination process, apart for, from the dissemination of information regarding this process, through online booking in a platform that was set up for COVID-19 vaccination, it was found that one uh, uh, important obstacle for migrants was that they did not have an NHS number. So whenever a migrant uh, had not uh, been to um, our national healthcare system before uh, or is uh, in an irregular situation and is unable to register at the NHS, um, they uh, they would not be able to register for vaccination in the platform that was set up. Uh, for uh, for the vaccination, so a specific mechanism had to be developed um, to request that enabled migrants to request a temporary number uh, that allowed them to access the vaccination process, and this was implemented in very close collaboration with migrant associations and other civil society entities that provided support to migrants throughout the process. And um, indeed, this very close collaboration that was established between us, healthcare services, also the task force that was set up to deal with vaccination and uh, associations and civil societies uh, entities was uh, crucial for, for the implementation of the process and to reach the highest number of migrants as possible, uh, regardless of their uh, migratory status. Uh, For example, last week and in face of uh, some persistent constraints, the task force, the vaccination task force, uh, decided in coordination with the other entities that have been involved in this process to set up open houses, in vaccination centers uh, that were prepared to receive migrants, uh, uh, even though they uh, had uh, not uh, been able to register to have uh, an NHS number. And the situation at the moment is that a little over 436,000 foreign citizens have received at least one job of the COVID-19 vaccine. now we have to think about uh, next steps, but uh, it is our feeling here, for, from the work that has been developed, that the the work that was being done before in terms of um, promoting access to healthcare and to re- uh, registration in the national healthcare service is going now to allow us to build on these and uh, develop together in partnership with civil society organizations, and in particular with migrants associations, uh, a more robust uh, response uh, to migrants' needs in terms of healthcare, either um, by uh, collecting more information about their specific needs, but also being able to coordinate joint responses to respond to their specific situation. And this is what I had to share with you uh, for now. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Sonia Pereira, talking about this very rich and broad approach that Portugal has taken and providing examples of the different approaches that uh, were taken. Uh, You you were definitely highlighting strongly how important partnerships and collaboration across different stakeholders and partners uh, have been uh, in this approach, in in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Are there concrete strategies Moving forward beyond the pandemic to maintain these partnerships and to continue collaborating also on other issues than just COVID 19, but migrant health in general. Uh, Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about this.
2: Uh, for, uh, until now, the the, big, the priority was, uh, it has it had different stages, so initially was to give as much information as possible to migrants about the COVID, uh, then we also started collecting information about their specific situation and needs, then to, we had to move on to testing and also to provide information about access to testing, which has worked here differently from, from other countries, It's not has been as widespread as it has been been in other countries so some particular information was needed uh, on that and also to set up specific places and now we've moved on to the vaccination and to guarantee that the highest number of migrants possible has access to vaccination regardless of uh, having an NHS number or not and now I uh, we are at the stages of concluding this, this step of the vaccination but uh, certainly what has been achieved so far in terms of building on the existing coordination that exists Um, between these different entities, we now have to build on this to provide uh, better access to to healthcare and more information to migrants on uh, accessing healthcare. Also because we are very much aware that the fact that we have put so much emphasis on COVID-19 over the last year and a half, other healthcare issues have been put aside and this is for the general population so now we 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 understand that another effort needs to be made uh, on on that front to be able to provide more information about other areas of healthcare that migrants can also access uh, and in particular uh, those areas that mi- maybe also related to public health, for example, TB issues. We have had also a number of sessions, even within the COVID-19 with the national authorities that is responsible for this area, for TB, also to uh, continue these awareness raising and the issues surrounding TB, also HIV, AIDS, uh, all matters of public health that all migrants have access to free health care, regardless of their situation. And in parallel to that also um, other areas of uh, routine care that is free of charge for migrants that have a, an NHS number.
0: Yes, thank you for that elaboration. And maybe what is also interesting in, uh in this respect is uh, what was just presented by our first panelist about the the increase in mental health issues after the pandemic and uh, other health problems that may be increased because of the general impact on living conditions. Uh, We received a question from someone in the audience about the regularization plan for March 2020. And the question is, How has this plan, the regularization, helped migrants to access public health care better? And also, are there any figures about the number of migrants that have benefited from the regularization?
2: Um, Regularization as... um meant that migrants that were considered regular um, because they had pending process in the immigration and um, border service during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, meant they could access uh, free um, healthcare. Uh, or health care in uh, uh, equality of conditions with national citizens in all areas, so not just public public health matters. Uh, so it meant that they uh, could access uh, uh, all health care. It's been a very important uh, policy measure in terms of um, Uh, giving them access to the different rights, also in terms of social social benefits, uh, which uh, um, was uh, an extraordinary opportunity for migrants that were uh, left without uh, a job. And um, did not have access, would not have access to social benefits uh, in, under that circumstance. That is also related to COVID 19. Uh, and um, if uh, the government of Portugal had not um, approved this measure of uh, granting um, extraordinary regularization for a period of time. Um, related to this area. I don't uh, have the specific numbers of people that at the moment have um, been able to benefit from uh, from this measure, but if I, I find them, I'll, I'll
0: come back to it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh- I would like to move on uh, after this uh, wonderful overview of Portugal and how, in this kind of case study, what type of response was taken to zoom out a little bit and take a more global perspective and also look a little bit at the international policy framework uh, that is governing uh, migrant health. Uh, and therefore, I would like to introduce Santino Severoni, uh, director of the Migration Health Program from the WHO, uh, to the floor. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Good afternoon. Hi, thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes, would you like to tell us a little bit more, maybe to start with the approach that the WHO Migrant Health Program has taken uh, during such an uh, exceptional time as the pandemic? What steps, uh, what initiatives have been launched? Uh, What what have been the biggest challenges? Uh,
3: Indeed, uh, one of the uh, key element we are uh, working with while uh, dealing with a public health aspect of migration or population movement is uh, uh, really the empowerment and helping the health sector to position in a uh, a central role in the addressing uh, eventual health needs or health related uh, needs um, in case of population movement. Uh, this can sound obvious, but in reality, not. In many cases, health sector tend to consider this not their own area of, uh, uh, of responsibility, of mandate, uh, so quite a lot of work is, uh, is taking place routinely. Uh, to uh, engage health sector, to really guide them, assist them, strengthen their own capacity and engagement to secure well-being of this population in order to achieve well-being of the entire population resident in their country. Now, when the COVID pandemic uh, uh, break out uh, last year, uh, basically we have seen in a context really dramatic that all we know, but a major acceleration towards the need to have health sector better understanding and better positioning and better addressing eventual needs also of of this population. So in the overall uh, situation, countries, they start to consider in a pragmatic manner, basically what we are uh, recommending and what we are, uh, allow me to say, preaching since decades Uh, as a public health that we cannot uh, separate uh, partition population based on uh, an abstract uh, legal framework, but we need to uh, uh, promote a public health approach, a a rational approach based on evidence. So this period was for us extremely, extremely important in one hand to uh, observe uh, the situation, because we were all at WHO extremely engaged in a better understanding the dynamic of the pandemic, and then in ass- assisting, uh, supporting countries in uh, uh, setting up or putting in place the right measure to address the, the pandemic. For us, it was vital that migrants, refugees, or so-called mobile population would not left behind, but would be included. Uh, that's why we came uh, across of the initiative that Ghent and Copenhagen University were uh, developing with a survey. We thought it very important to collaborate with that because it was important also to grasp the perception as an indicator of this population in this very difficult context. But then a lot of uh, evidence was needed and guidance to cancer. This has been a major area of, of engagement and, and, and activity, but also we wanted to better understand what was the policy setting. And uh, for me, it was really a pleasure to listen to the previous speaker because this is just a window on the reality we observed uh, globally. Basically, the uh, pressure, I would say, the threat of the uh, pandemic have been inspiring, has been uh, overseeing, superseding the political uh, sensitiveness and, and uh, the usual narrative around the issue of migration, and in many cases, guiding uh, a rational public health approach. Was this the approach followed by all countries? Certainly not. Uh, and in fact, a lot of uh, energy being injected in uh, helping particularly the geographic area where situation was lacking behind. But what we observed, we ran, for example, in parallel to the survey, also a a review of the policy setting adopted by uh, member states worldwide in uh, responding to COVID pandemic, and also uh, what was the level of inclusion or not of migrants and refugees. Very interesting, we got a, uh, a picture that, If we compare with the COVID, uh, with the the epidemiological uh, and uh, public health response to the pandemia, where most of the country aligned to very similar similar public health procedures, uh, in relation to migrants and refugees, we have seen a very diversified approach, a very uh, sometimes also contradictory approach. So we have seen the full... Uh, portfolio of, of options with countries like you have been hearing in Portugal, for example, with a very pragmatic approach where inclusion, where to apply the principle of uh, universal coverage was essential to uh, ensure that the response was meaningful and was closing eventual gap of underserved uh, reservoir of population that could develop uh, in a trade for the rest of the uh, resident population. Uh, countries which they put in place uh, ad hoc measure targeting camps or uh, camp-like setting if uh, present in their country, or uh, setting uh, up or putting in place legal measures as exceptions, so time-binded, time-limited for the time of the pandemic, uh, aiming at facilitating the access to service, including preventive and curative services of all Buying and population resident in those countries. But then we observe with a a certain degree of uh, sadness. Also, a uh, relevant number of countries which did not put in place any any measure to fill the gap or to address the need of this population that, in those conditions, could face particular uh, situation of of uh, of uh, vulnerability. Um, a big concern and a big uh, area of engagement being also try to prevent uh, stigma, stigmatization. Uh, usually, there is a very uh, easy but not realistic link between communicable diseases and migrants and refugees. But in reality, communicable diseases are, are moving for that are considered communicables. But in, the, in case of migration, migrants and refugees, there is always the imagination that they are the carriers of uh, infected disease. This was a big concern for us. We wanted to prevent this uh, stigma, but also we wanted to prevent the misuse of public health measures recommended to control the pandemic, so that country will not use the pandemic restrictions or physical distancing or physical uh, um, undergoing for screening and and testing as a measure to stop the uh, migration migration process, or to encourage forced resettlement. There were cases. This was not uh, certainly uh, disappearing. There were cases we observe around the world. But mostly I have to say that, again, the exception, the, the, uh, the idea of uh, uh, prioritizing the response to the pandemic rather than to follow bureaucratic legal framework arrangement was prevailing. Uh, Immediately after the acute phase, when the uh, vaccine became available, and again, you've been hearing from uh, the report from a country, for us was major concern that once more, the uh, migrant and refugee population would not be excluded from the access to vaccines. This was a very, uh, probably this was the most difficult uh, part of our work and experience phase in the last year and up to now, mostly because At the beginning, when the vaccine was made available to the world, uh, we were talking about a a limited amount of vaccines, not yet available for everybody. All of you might recall the run again uh, towards uh, collecting uh, or building uh, stocks of uh, vaccine available in in each country. Uh, In this regard, we, we were very vigilant to make sure that country would develop national vaccination policy, deployment, uh, including also vulnerable uh, groups. Uh, And again, there was quite interesting to observe that on the paper, we didn't record any uh, ideological, let's say, or political sensitive uh, obstacle to this approach. But this was not what was the case observing practice uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, First of all, for the reasons that in uh, uh the situation was different in uh, in uh, countries of the northern part of the world from countries for example with economy in transition countries which with a uh, availability of vaccine countries in the northern part of the world they tend to enroll through the nhs to immunization all those available of uh uh, having availability of the records uh, necessary to enroll themselves in the vaccination this include also many regular migrants in possession of paper or health insurance card or uh, access card. Uh, our concern was for the regular migrants in those countries because we observe a kind of uh, paradoxical situation. Countries with a va- availability of vaccines, actually, they were excluding, maybe not even intentionally, irregular migrants, but mostly because the uh, platform, the immunization platform to regulate, to manage the access to vaccines. They were not performing, not able to read the uh, variety of needs of the population. Interestingly, it was that once we addressed this concern, we have seen a major fixing of the situation. I would say that Close to 80% of the countries with a national development uh, deployment uh, plan for vaccines, they integrated also uh, this part of the population. When was not possible to correct the NHS mechanism platform to uh, enroll population to get vaccinated, uh, ad hoc initiative like mobile clinic or um, unregistered access to vaccines that were launched. And uh, this has been certainly uh, fixing a bit, but not entirely uh, the uh, need or necessity for all to access vaccines and, and care. It's a different situation in uh, economy in transition where the access of vaccines is uh, still a challenge in many countries for the entire population. Uh, the last element we, we are working with is the post-COVID. A big part of the world has been starting uh, working and and focusing governments, focusing on the post-COVID recovery. Uh, I think the uh, pandemia has been a tremendous uh, uh, eye-opener for all of us, uh, despite the drama and, uh, the, the the hardship of the experience uh, first of all from the public health point of view the main uh, lesson learned is that the universal health coverage approach that we are often promoting in many countries they are at least uh, as a as a, a principle approaching in reality is a reality is not uh, uh, really limited by financial resources uh, especially if um, universal health coverage means granting to all including the most vulnerable uh, a special uh, package of essential services which are essential to prevent the most common the most common problems uh, countries which they decided for Uh, an open and inclusive approach, actually they gave the proof that health sector went bankrupt because few thousand migrants, particularly those in irregular condition have been included in accessing the the, the health systems. Uh, The second point is that um, there've been uh, a lot of pragmatism put in place. So I've seen uh, a a reduction of uh, let's say the, the, the impact of the usual negative narrative uh, on, uh, on uh, migration and migrants influencing the uh, public policy uh, setting and development. The other element that we are uh, taking with us for the post-COVID is that uh, we've been discussing the issue of uh, lack of data uh, enormously. Uh, this is a fact. But this is not an issue which is supposed to be continue to be advocated at the global or international level. Each country needs to enrich, complete their own national information, health information system with a capacity to read what's going on in the entire population, regular or in irregular situation.
0: Thank you so much, Santino uh, Severoni, for this uh, overview of all the different work that WHO has been doing, and also looking forward, of what is important and identifying these different trends. Uh, one of the things that you were mentioning is this acceleration of a more pragmatic approach uh, to migrant health, and also maybe an increased willingness, increased action in this area. Uh, this sounds very promising for the future or for future policymaking. Are any new policy initiatives? or developments on the horizon uh, that you are aware of in the field of migrant health?
3: Well, uh, the issue is not that we are in need of new policies. Most of the uh, concept frameworks and approach are well known and they are in place. So what we need really very much an acceleration of implementation of what we put in place already a few years ago. Just to uh, mention one above all, the uh, implementation of the uh, global compact on migration Uh, Next year, we're going to have the uh, medium-term review of the implementation. Uh, A lot of resistance was shown in 2018 at the launching uh, to be a binding instrument, or to be an instrument that could somehow pressure the sovereignty of uh, member states in uh, getting additional commitment or conceiving additional rights to migrants. So this will be an extremely important uh, moment where we're going to... Take stock of the learning, of the experiences, and uh, how much pragmatic pragmatic approach we remain after COVID in looking to uh, long term uh, challenges that we need to we need to face. In my view. Um, Each emergency bear with with itself uh, a a huge potential of change, of innovation, and new approach. Uh, I like to be positive. I like to be confident that what we've been experiencing uh, during the most uh, harsh part of COVID uh, pandemic uh, is not lost, particularly the the positive learning, the, the positive solution, the positive approach.
0: Thank you so much for that uh, answer, and, and very interesting that you're saying, yes, There is, a, there are a lot of policies, they are there, uh, but it's implementation time. Uh, I think another theme that I heard a little bit across the different panelists is uh, about data and research and the importance of knowing what is going on, and we heard that the the Portuguese initiative to launch a survey, so there's a lot of, there's been a lot of initiative in this area during the pandemic, but would more coordination on this front be beneficial on data collection uh, across countries, because there's been a lot of um, ad hoc approaches to this, and I'm curious from the different panelists what their views are on this, on data collection, and how this can uh, benefit uh, migrant health and also inform policy making?
1: Well, I, I really think that that would be great if we could coordinate and and, and also compare data, but at the same time, um, it won't be that easy because there's there's um, there are many different systems, many different health systems, many different uh, systems of, of, of documents. So yes, it would be interesting, um, but at the same time, it, Cannot ignore the, the contextual differences that are between countries, but of course it would be um, would be interesting if we don't go then in in a situation of kind of comparing countries without uh, looking sufficient sufficiently into uh, contextual differences that that are there. And, uh,
0: Sonia Pereira, I'm also very curious because you were mentioning the survey uh, that was launched in Portugal. Uh, what topics were covered in this survey and how was this approached and what was the main aim or main goal of launching this survey Uh,
2: the survey was launched to be was designed to be implemented uh, on the streets by our team that was trying to reach out to those migrants that do not have that easier access to online uh, platforms and the internet, and we this was the mechanism we used uh, to get more information from them uh, for the purpose of improving access to vaccination and to information about uh, uh, COVID 19. So, this was uh, really a very a uh, pragmatic approach uh, to reach out to those migrants that we felt were not uh, a part of the, of the online networks um, and also maybe not also part of the uh, networks of migrants' associations, so it was very specific. But uh, we did launch also, uh, we opened the call for studies under Amif uh, to uh, do research on the impacts of COVID-19 for migrants. So we are also expect uh, that some of the. Um, the results of those um, research projects will be able to inform the next stage of policymaking in in this field, and in particular of improving migrants, of maybe mitigating the impact of COVID-19 on migrants' uh, health situation, and also to think forward about uh, some of the issues that have been discussed here as well, uh, what will be the next step in improving migrants' health and migrants' access to healthcare. So this would be a more comprehensive approach to uh, collecting data on the impact of COVID-19 on on migrants.
0: Great, thank you. Uh, We received another question from the audience about the biggest challenges uh, that uh, Portugal faced in these different interventions. So were there interventions that turned out not to work in the end? And why did this happen? And maybe were there some interventions that were specifically successful? Uh, And maybe you can elaborate a little bit on on this.
2: Um, That did not work at all. I don't think we've had. Maybe uh, some of the efforts we made on providing access to testing, for example, were not as successful as we expected in terms of accessing people on the street and uh, asking them to join um, or to do a test. Uh, But um, it indeed reached uh, people as well. So I would not call them uh, not successful. Maybe it was... uh, um, not as far-reaching as we would expect in some cases or some days or maybe there were not that many migrants the day the van was there and this did happen but in general I think what was very successful was this very strong coordination that existed between all the entities we have met regularly with migrants associations in particular but also other civil society organizations that work specifically with migrants and they got very much involved in the process. Uh, so, for example, we created a form online for migrants to register to be able to access vaccination and also in the process of uh, accessing the, um, the temporary NHS number. And um, these associations uh, were indicated in a list. And if migrants thought that they needed support uh, with filling out the form or um, asking for further clarifications, they could uh, have access to a pool of organizations that would be able to assist them in this process. And I think having everyone involved and committed to making this work was uh, was very successful and also a very strong commitment of the task force on, on vaccination that led the vaccination process in the country to make this work for migrants as well. And they've met with us um, regularly and also with the associations to clarify the procedures and also were also very available to um, adjust The procedures that were put in place for the general population to be able to uh, also include migrants um, in the vaccination.
0: Thank you so much for elaborating uh, on that Uh, and it sounds also very interesting to kind of evaluate and take time to take stock of what has been working and what doesn't work uh, in all these very quick responses that had to be launched during the pandemic. Uh, I see the time is almost finished for this webinar so I'd like to wrap up and thank our uh, wonderful speakers and I think maybe summarizing it a little bit and uh, that there's many challenges that have been uh, instigated by this pandemic additional risk for migrant health but also then these health risks again causing problems for migrant integration and also other health problems like mental health, but at the same time, uh, increased partnerships like we've seen in Portugal, but also an accelerated pragmatic approach by different countries. Uh, so it sounds like uh, there's both a reason for concern, but also a reason for hope working on this issue, I would like to think the speakers for their time, we try to get to as many questions as possible in the time we had, we will get back to questions potentially via email afterwards, the recording of this webinar will be uh, available tomorrow on the website. And I would like to remind everyone that we're launching our report next week uh, on migrant health on our uh, website on the integration futures um, working group. So please have a look at that. And there will be a summary of a lot of different challenges, but also opportunities uh, for migrant health in the future. Uh, And thank you everyone so much for joining today.